three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of the Stoned Apes Podcast. And we are here with the three motherfuckers and our side bitch. We are alone today, people. The How are you all, all doing? Nice little solo episode where we can kind of get back and, and do some stuff. I have no idea what the fuck we're going to talk about, though. I have no plans. We're I mean, talking about sucking apple dick. We were talking about sucking apple dick. Yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. <laughs> Anthony officially goes gay for pay for Apple. <laughs> Any Apple I'll, officially, <laughs> I'll officially go gay for pay just for fucking anything if the price is right. I don't give two shits. <laughs> what? Every man has a price. I'll tell you right now, if it was life-changing money, dude, we're in. <laughs> What's your dollar? Well, they're in. What's your dollar? It'd have to be life-changing. It would It would at least... Seven figures? Oh, it wouldn't have to be that much. Okay. If it <laughs> all right, <laughs> if it paid if it paid off my house, I'd be done. I'd do that. I'd even let it be recorded at that point. I wouldn't give a fuck. Ooh. Okay. Like we're talking serious money. I mean, somebody wants to drop four hundred thousand dollars in my lap tomorrow. Browsers. And, 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 and all I gotta do is do a little gay shit. Like, come on, we're done. <laughs> we're done. Like, I could live with myself after that. I'll look in the mirror. I ain't fucking no shame here. This message has been brought to you in honor of Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Hey man, my no, shame. No judgment, man. No judgment. I know. I don't. What? What about half of your house? Probably not. I'd have to be incentivized. I'd have to. It'd have to be enough to make some change because it's not something I'm going to want to do. What if they're really good looking? No, I'm not homo. <laughs> Just not. I'm not a homosexual. Doesn't so. matter how beautiful of a man they are. No, I'm not attracted to men. It just doesn't do it for me. Now, what if, 250K? What if they match the number you need, and the dude's got like a 14-inch cock that's like a Coke can, and you got to take it? Mm, no. <laughs> Plot twist. No, that would be that would be a real issue. Like, no. Just no. <laughs> there there would have to be, now we're talking really big money. Gotta call him daddy. Now, you know, because there's going to be, like, repercussions afterwards. Surgery. Like, surgery, like, dealing with that shit. Like, there's going to be some stuff. Counseling yeah. for years. No, yeah, then look at yourself. Like, just look at the therapy. No. I'm out. I'm out. I don't know. The VA won't help you with that. <laughs> they Probably might. Not. They actually you will. You would think after <laughs> seriously? Now, one would think after years of military service that that would be covered. But it's not. <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. No, I, we had a guy. It's actually kind of a serious. It starts funny and then. This is going to go all dark. No. Great. This it dude does, got raped we go. and like beaten the head and hammered he and did. shot 14 so, times. Great move. This he guy, did. I get told this story. I just show up in Hawaii. I'm a platoon sergeant. And they had had they had come back from deployment. They were had had problems with all these guys, and there was this one kid who they had who literally was sitting there saying the CIA was spying on him. He was like pulling tinfoil over himself all the time and shit. They showed up in his room one time and they found uh, bath salts or something, and all the NCOs cornered him because he was trying to run. And they said he literally stopped and started screaming and trying to make a Dragon Ball. Like ah, screaming violently, and he explosively shit his pants while f- trying to form this dragon. You ball. know this this story went way better than I thought. Because <laughs> right. I, wait- I was waiting for the typical Sarge story where it was like so depressing, I wanted to like cry after. Well, so here's where here's where it gets kind of sad. So oh, shit. here we go. <laughs> a All few right. months. Brace ourselves. A few months later, we get uh, hey battalion formation over here. Yada yada yada. Tying commander comes out, takes his hat off, and he's like, uh, 
This at this point, this kid had been chaptered out of the army. Well, he's like, "Look, we just got notified. We know some of you knew him. But apparently, the kid killed himself." Damn. And a bunch of the other guys started coming forward. Apparently, right before their deployment to Afghanistan, uh, he had been raped in an alley in downtown Honolulu by a mahu. Oh yeah, you talked about that. A boy, a boy, I remember boy that. girl, or whatever, whatever they are, a, thinking it was a chick and it was not a chick. Anyway, yeah, yeah I was, didn't know that was a thing in Hawaii. I knew that was a thing, like in the Philippines and Thailand and stuff. I knew that was a big thing. I did not know that was a big thing in Hawaii. Yeah, it was it Korea was a, too. Yeah, it it was a thing. But yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's the first part of the story is funny. The dude was nuts. Some funny stuff happened. But the reality was the reason he kind of snapped was the deployment and then. He was raped, so that's why I said if you're if anybody's listening and they're having problems in the VA, the VA will cover that. It, military sexual trauma is still military sexual trauma, like no no joke. Right, it's actually a rated condition. Well, I've never had any like actual sexual trauma other so than being in the army. The green, other than the being, green weenie. <laughs> other than being in the army, the army has fucked me plenty, and the VA continues to do so. So I'm very grateful. Uh, but consistency of care is a thing, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I, you know, they are very consistent. They, they, at least they don't deviate the, all their efforts to become better. Don't work. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was sad that that dude had to get out. You know, he got chaptered all that other shit. And then all his buddies coming forward, telling that stuff yeah. later. And he never got, he never talked to anybody or whatever. Yeah, that ain't right. It's I, rough. I, I look, rape is wrong. I don't care who it's with or when, like if it's guy, guy, girl, girl, well, guy, girl, rape is wrong. So period. at my last Done. assignment, I was actually a credentialed victim advocate for the army. Like I had to go through a huge background check and I taught the sexual harassment rape prevention course, um, for the schoolhouse for you taught sexual harassment. Did they meet you before they put you in this assignment? <laughs> I'm not, this is actually how this went. So I go to this course, it's like two weeks or something and they're going around the room. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? And then I, they get to me and I tell them and they go, they let a infantry guy in here. And it was this huge stigma. And I actually ended up scoring. Hey, like, at least better. you weren't an MP. <laughs> well, there's they, that. They were the ones that got in all the fucking trouble. <laughs> But it was, you know, I actually a few times had to get the take home, like on call phone for the installation. And uh, I never had to take any calls that came close once, but it got handed off. Uh, but there is a ton of uh, male sexual abuse that happens in the Army. Um, there's a ton of stuff that happens. There's also a lot of misreported stuff because... Well, kind of the way the rating schedule things I'll happen. I'll tell you but. what, though, and I'm glad we're actually talking about this because this is one of the topics I wanted to talk about on the podcast at some point. But I'm actually really kind of glad that they got rid of the whole don't ask, don't tell, and then they just opened it up. I think that was a positive move for the Army. I don't understand why your sexuality somehow keeps you from being able to fucking fight. Like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Like, you know, you should be able to put that in a box. Like, and if somebody is a homosexual, like, who fucking cares? Yeah. Like, I don't care if the guy next to me is a homosexual. Like, what does that matter to me? You know, me? he's not trying to fuck you. Yeah, right. Like, you know, and even if he was, he's going to hit on me, and I'm going to be like, hey, by the way, I'm a heterosexual male, and that's going to be the he's end of like, it. He's going to be like, okay, cool. Well, you know, and if he gets pushy, he's an asshole, just like a guy would be an asshole. Like, you would just deal with it. Well, like, I don't understand what the big fucking deal is. There's... there's there's a lot of rule changes and stuff and policy that 
like, yeah, personally, look, they, I don't they, care. I don't they were care. all there before. Look, when I would go on NTC deployments, there was a guy that was stationed in my unit. He was in a headquarters platoon, and he was obviously a homosexual. Everyone knew he was a homosexual. There was no question about this whatsoever, other than he just never came out and said it. But that was when it was don't ask, don't tell. So he wasn't doing anything wrong. Nobody asked. He didn't tell. But, you know, you would go to the showers or whatever, and he would be in there showering, but he never made it fucking inappropriate or anything like that. Like, he wasn't sitting there gawking at you in the shower. You know, the dude took a shower like everybody fucking else. Well, like, you know, big deal. And that kind of gets to the problem about how they started when they redefined the or revamped the system to Sharp. Before that, it was. Uh, they have Sharp and EO now. Before that, I can't remember what it was called. When you were in, it was called something different. Um, but the way they would define harassment, some things people could get jammed up for. I, there was one point I was literally like, look, either we need to go full Starship Troopers and just have co-ed everything, or we need individual stalls Well, you know, because that- of the way like you could be looked at the wrong way. I don't know. It just I, I saw holes in the policy and how it could be exploited. It, it all comes down to like what the professor says, individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You as an individual have the responsibility for behaving in the appropriate way. If the army was completely co- co-ed and we had to shower with women, I could do that in a professional way. Mm-hmm. I could go in there, not be an asshole, keep my fucking eyes to myself, do what I had to do, treat it like a job and go on my way. I have the ability to do that. You could. Right. When somebody else doesn't, that's their fucking issue, right? That is what needs to be addressed, not the inappropriateness of the situation, because there's nothing inappropriate. If that's a job, that's a fucking job. You know you're going to peak, though, right? What do you mean? Like, if you had to go to a shower room with full of girls, you're going to take a peek. I think I would know what was in the room, and I, like anyone else, but I also know that they would, too. You're not going to keep it creepy, obviously. I'm not going to make it creepy, and, it, I'm, and I'm not going to uh, care. Right. I've been around enough nudity in my life. I'm not going to freak out just because some naked girl's there. I like no. that's not going to be like, oh my god, you know, big deal. So you're not you're not saying you're 16 anymore when it comes down to it. Yeah, yeah. but that's another thing you got to remember too is a lot of the military's a, a young men and women who are stepping straight out of high school into a whole new oh, world of reality. That's what I was going to say. The being the, raised by. My people who did that too. Yeah, the problem. The problem is, is we have tabooed sexuality so much in society, mm-hmm. so much in society, all the way down to like even that conversation, whether it be LGBTQ or whatever. It's like, why does your sexuality have to be a point of conversation? Like, you know, there are. That's I think is the weirdest part of that. Is like I don't walk into the room and all of a sudden start telling everybody what my fetishes are. Like, there is no point of contention where that is a conversation that we have, right? So why do I want to hear about somebody else's fetishes or, or whatever? I don't need to know about that. I don't care. You know, your right to be who with your is there, right? Now, I don't want you throwing your sexuality in my face. I don't want to sit there and see you, you know, making out and doing all But look, I don't do that with my spouse either. Mm-hmm. Me and Michelle aren't going to sit there and just go make out in front of you because I'm not going to. That's not appropriate behavior. So it doesn't matter who it is. I don't necessarily want to see that. Right. Right. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, but I'm pretty liberal, so here I am. I don't really care. <laughs> Not everybody is as liberal as me when it comes to this. To touch. I, and there's silence. I'm like, hey, <laughs> no, no, no. The wheels are turning. No, because I agree with you. I'm, I, I have sort of... I'm more libertarian, I, I think. Maybe classically liberal would be more... M- 
you know, my views generally. I, I think it all comes down to like what we talked about, anecdotal experience. So this is my anecdotal experience. I was raised in a religious home, and I went to a Southern Baptist school up and through elementary school, right? So I already had a lot of like religious oppression, and, and sexuality was made to be so taboo. And then I really didn't uh, venture too far from that, even in high school. Um, my religious beliefs had changed, but uh, my behavior really didn't too much. I was still pretty prudish and very closed and reserved. And then uh, all the way up and through, the, the military kind of opened my eyes to, like, what the world of perversion could be, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where I learned everything. That's a quick dark hole. I didn't know <laughs> shit. Like, I was so vanilla before I joined the Army, it wasn't even funny. But um, then later in life, you know, and, and then I got back into religion really heavy. And obviously, you know, I went all the way through seminary and I got all that stuff. So, you know, there was, there was this real large push for making sexuality such a taboo subject, especially in religion, right? And in the Christian religion and even in the Assemblies of God where I was um, pastoring, sexuality is treated like it's something you should be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to embrace your sexuality. It is, you know, that's one of the disservices that I think that, um, and, and I don't want to get too much into a religious debate, but I, I think that a mistake that a lot of people make is any time that you say, you know, for example, the, the Christian belief that this, the, the flesh is sin, right? So they believe that the flesh is sin. And I don't know. I think that's a ridiculous idea. Like, this is the body that we're given. This is our biological animal body. This is who we are. And if you tell yourself that fundamentally at your core, at your DNA level, because you exist as a flesh human, you are somehow flawed. Like, now everything about you is worthless and you need salvation. Somebody has to come save you because you're just shit on your own. Well, man, what does that do about how you view yourself? Well, you're just going to walk around feeling like you're complete shit unless, you know, God saves you and can and makes you something better than what you are. And so I walked around my whole life with this terrible self-view with all of this shame and all this guilt attached to sexuality. And so I would, ex you know, I had, um, I'm going to get kind of personal here for a second. Uh, so in that time frame, I had a massive pornography addiction. All right. I was addicted to pornography for about 20 years and it got to the point where at its peak, I bet you I was watching 30 hours of porn a week. OK, I mean, this was a real issue. And this is while being a pastor, doing seminary. This is all in the dark corners of the world. Nobody knows about it. I'm hiding it all and going behind my back and all this shit, you know. And I look back on that and one, what a terrible decision. OK, I am so anti-pornography now. There, there's so much that goes into that. But, you know, w my view on sexuality and all the self-hate and all the guilt and all the trauma associated with that, and that is what that is, trauma, right? As When I came out of that as an adult, it took me years to work through that. It took me years to not feel shame about feeling sexual or having a sexual thought. And it took me a long time to get, to get rid of the guilt associated with all of this shit. And it's at the end of the day, it's like, why should you ever feel guilty about who you are as a human? My desires are my desires. I don't have to feel guilty or ashamed about mm -hmm. that. Now, am I responsible for curbing them or acting appropriately? Absolutely. But you know what the funny thing was is as I came out of that, 
you know, for a short period of time, like you would anyone, you take somebody who's repressed, you open the gates and what do you do? You go fucking crazy. And I did. I, I went crazy for a little bit. My sexuality definitely was what I would consider overcharged and overpeaked. And I was definitely seeking it in all the wrong places. But once I got over that and I got to the point where it was like, oh, what do I actually really want? And then I actually found out like, holy shit, I'm actually way more vanilla than I ever thought I was. Because once I got rid of the guilt and it just came down to like nothing was taboo anymore. That was what the problem with the with all of the the repressed sexuality was and the pornography is it becomes taboo. You're already looking at this stuff behind closed doors. You're already doing it when nobody's around, right? So what are you doing? you got to seek the next thing. And then it's like, well, what's more extreme than that? Then what's more extreme than that? And then you go down this rabbit hole where eventually you're looking at shit that, oh, God, I don't want anybody to see my search history. Well, no shit, because you're looking at shit you shouldn't be fucking looking at. Like, it's not normal. It was created because you had to seek that next high, that next high, that next high. Yeah, it's a dopamine thing. It's a dopamine thing. Mm -hmm. And when you get out of that, like for at least for me, when I came out of that and I was able to say like, I'm free now to express whatever sexuality I want. I have no restrictions on my sexuality. So even in my relationship, we are, there is no point at which there can't be a conversation. I have no restrictions on what I'm allowed to present or talk about or whatever, you know, we'll make decisions on other things. But when I got that freedom, then I got to get back to like, what do I actually like? What do I actually want? Oh my God, it's way different. Way, 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 way different. And it gave me the freedom to where like, I don't feel guilty about myself anymore. I don't have all that shame. I don't have all that shit. Well, like, you, you know, know you, you talk about religion, I think because I've done a little bit of research on this, and you went to seminary, but it's kind of like we talked about with Father Mark, books that have been withheld from the Bible. I mean, you, here we have a Catholic priest telling us literally, like, yeah, a lot of stuff's about control and other things. There's, n I think we've talked about it on here before, too. There's actually nothing against even uh, polygamy in the Bible. It actually existed a lot. Well, so now we're getting into doctrinal things, right? You know, so the so the issue is, what we have is everything that existed before the New Testament in the Old Testament was considered to be ended by the covenant that was fulfilled with the New Testament. I know that. So even though you have polygamy stories in the Old Testament or you have things in the Old Testament um, that people would like to use against religion, the modern church is going to say, no, that is not applicable because we don't follow the Old Testament. We follow the teachings of the New Covenant that's in the New Testament. Some of them do. Some people and still observe Torah. Yeah, well, here we go into doctrinal things, right? So if we're if we're talking about doctrinal Christianity, okay, then you would have to say doctrinal Christianity accepts the New Testament because they are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, you have a larger subset which is not Christianity, which just comes down to Judaism, right? right yep. And so then in Judaism, you're right. So Judaism, they have the um, apocrypha. Yep. Right. They have the Torah, Torah. That you talked to, the Torah, and then they uh, they also at some, at points they have other other Gnostic gospels that they have incorporated into some of their teachings, and and some um, some followers will get out there, and then you also have a, another subsect of Christianity that exists in North Africa, and so you have Ethiopia and all these other areas, and they still, for example, like in their Bibles, they include the Apocrypha still, so they still have the entire Apocrypha in there, and. You So Christianity as a whole, when you get into the doctrinal subsets, all comes down to 
what books are still allowed? Are we King James only? Are we not King James only? What do we believe to be the transcriptions of the scrolls and the scribes and things that came in? What well, books are accepted? What aren't? Even translation of some of the books, you'll get differing interpretations. For instance, even uh, in the Ten Commandments, uh, I just watched a thing on this the other day. Uh they were talking about like coveting your neighbor's wife or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't actually about the individual lustful act of it. It had more, it could have been directly related, depending on the translation, even directly to property or yeah. anything well, else. You know, of that, don't, it, like, don't, don't to a point. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to explain it because I do it poorly, but the guy made like, I was like, oh, that actually. No, it makes a lot of sense. In the same way, everybody says, well, it says, thou shalt not kill, you know, the modern thing. I'm like, that's not what it said. It yeah. said, thou shalt not murder, and the initial actual, like, like, if you look into it, it was, thou shalt not murder another Jew, because it's like, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, when the Ten Commandments were given to them, they wandered in the desert, and then they crossed in the Promised Land and killed everything. Right. Like, so that's not yeah, what it what, said. What about the genocide that occurred that was completely well, and, okay? And then <laughs> right. you could, there's lots of reasons that that supposedly happened too, but I guess my point is, is... I don't think saying religion is the right thing. I think the doctrinal control hey. that is applied. Well, yeah, it's well, a look, societal thing. Look, like, yeah, go ahead. Like, I'm sorry. It's a societal, uh, I guess, a form of control in a way, Like, but I would say would derive from a, Christi- a Christian background. But the idea of our sexual education mm-hmm. and our – that's backed by that uh, initial – like belief system saying that we need to no one needs to know about this we don't need and which in turn will lead to teenage pregnancy or whatever because we have no idea we're coming from a society in which we all live that the foundational uh people were puritans who who came to this country that's kind of the foundational bedrock of how you know in the west here in you know north america anyway no doubt that And it's very different in Europe. It's 100% if you look different. at how it's applied, um, and it's different in a lot of places in the United well, States. And we've yep. even it. Oh, well, sure, we're you know? huge. I used to talk about that when I'd, I'd teach a class on uh, the operational environment to lieutenants, and I would talk about cultures. And I said, "Look, like if you look at the size of our landmass, the amount of Europe's you could fit in us." I was like, "Who here has been in the guard and done?" any kind of uh, disaster support anywhere. And I'd have a couple of lieutenants raise their hands and I'd be like, where do you go? And they're like, oh, I went down to Florida. Well, you're in a guard unit in Utah or something. Like, yeah. I'm like, was it a culture shock? And they're like, yes. Mm-hmm. Same thing about if you went to a different country in Europe or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say, having been all over the world, exposed to many, many different cultures, uh, it makes you look at things, and then it makes you look at things biologically, and it's just uh, it gives you interesting perspective. I think I think the whole idea of repressed sexuality is one of the cruelest things that we've ever done to society, to culture as a whole. And regardless of what religion, you know, there's many many cultures that are mm-hmm. that are guilty of terrible atrocities associated with human sexuality, and it's just you know when you when you see that, and the, and I go back to what I was saying earlier, you know, and I think about this a lot more now than I did previously in life. 
But when you look at your biological animal, what are you designed to do? You know, and, and that goes down to like what we talk about training. You know, we put that in our training all the time, put that in our philosophies, our methods, things that we do. So when you apply that to your sexuality, you think, what is my biological animal designed to do? My biological animal is designed to procreate. That's what I am here for. So you're right? ready for this? I've actually just been listening to some stuff on this. It's very interesting. So if you look at mammals, right, and re direct reproduction, on average, uh, the average mammal, I believe it has sex, it's like three to ten times for direct reproduction. Human beings are the only, if you're looking at us purely as an animal, you know, take religion out of it for a minute. Purely as an animal, it's at least a thousand per reproductive event. Minimum. Now, I mean, you could... and. You could even argue, okay, well, we have contraception and, you know, yada, yada. But even before that, you know, uh, and I mean, that is the purpose of the well, act, clearly. Even, even however, well, think about this, right? The thing about biological design. Let's talk about women and their clitoris, right? The clitoris is the only sexual organ that is designed purely for sexual pleasure. Yep. That's it. That's the only reason <laughs> it exists. And so we live in a culture that says, well, Women shouldn't have the same sex drive as men. Bullshit. No, no. Women have women way have. fucking higher sex drive than men. And they also enjoy sex more. And so we live in a culture that's trying to repress that sexuality. Did we talk well, that's about, absolutely ridiculous. Did we talk about this? On Why the aren't podcast? you embracing that? That should be a, a fundamental foundation. So they studied this. They, uh, they brought in a test group of men, test group of women. I can't remember who did this. It was doctors. It was a clinical study. And they showed men and women a bunch of different images, uh, different movies, whatever. And they checked stimulation zones of the body that they couldn't give a subjective opinion to. Like they looked at pure responses. Women on average were turned on by like everything. Down to they could be watching a rape happen and their body would have a response. Now they were personally disgusted and because who would want that right but like it was like some monkey rape or something like two monkeys like something happening or something and it was like but it kind of makes sense now it could be as a survival mechanism too you, you know what i mean I, I don't know um i'm not a doctor or a clinician on that but it is interesting that just like you said we're the only species that the act can be for pleasure and hormonal well, and, and think about release. that think about that from a woman's standpoint right so you're here you've been born and raised you know let's say midwest united states right you've been taught your whole life to repress your sexuality you know you live in that double standard where guys can go out and do whatever they want they can be promiscuous that's great you can't be you're a whore whatever the case may be and then you also now you have a biological sex drive that's super high Okay, just as good high as a teenage boy's, right? Which is socially acceptable, by the way. And then you can't act on that. You can't do anything. Everything that you do regarding your sexuality has to be a secret, right? To the point that it drives a lot of women to have to leave their area to go have sex just because they don't want people to find out that they're having sex. And, oh, my God, it might look so bad on them, right? How much... How much personal hatred? How much How much do you eventually get to the point where you hate sex? The whole idea of sexuality. You know, there's so many women out there that just hate sex. And it's not because women don't enjoy sex. It's because sex has been created into this such of a, a disgusting thing. 
that they hate themselves oh. and they can't express it and they have no way to deal with it. And it's a terrible fucking narrative. I, I don't know. It's something that obviously I'm passionate about. You're not wrong, though. You're not wrong at all. No, no it pisses yeah, me off. It pisses me off. When I look at my own repressed sexuality from a guy's standpoint and to realize that everything that I dealt with as a man, even with religion, is less than any average girl today. My daughter deals with more repressed sexuality than I ever could have dreamed of dealing with. And she's 14, right? Because it's just not okay. It's just not okay. And it's like, you know, we've taught people to just hate themselves. Okay, so what's your thoughts about sex and youth and accountability and a, a moving metric over education education sir that's not emotional what I'm, education. Not, I'm saying it wrong i'm saying it wrong because i i know where you guys are going with it already signed so that's how i, I know i'm i'm getting ready wrong. to lecture you yeah. well i got some to yourself <laughs> dun, dun, dun. if you look even a hundred years ago the age of marriage was way lower mm-hmm. but also the age when people were responsible for life for a lot more like the maturity level was drastically higher thousand percent um and even if you look in other cultures like a lot of things where we're like oh that's disgusting and there's some stuff i still do maintain yeah that's absolutely disgusting but even if you look biblically you wouldn't talk about old testament it's like i are taking wives that are very very young like as soon as they can flower or whatever Mm -hmm. right um because biological things are kicking in well history is full of what we would call today pedophilia i mean they were marrying off conscribed marriages to 12 year olds all the way up until like the early 1900s like that's not a new thing i think the legal age of consent in kentucky is still 14 and that's that's, you know like but you know we you're getting into a bigger topic and and i'll answer your first question and then i want to jump into this other one because i um I think this is an important one, especially since we were talking about religion, but with the children. So what I decided to do with my children was, one, making the conversation of sexuality something that's open, approachable, and not taboo, right? There's nothing in this household that you can't talk about, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be talked about. It's going to be educated. Right. As you see in my house, we have plenty of um, nude art. Right. Things like that. Um, my kids are are subject to that 24 seven. And what it has done for them is it takes the taboo away. They're not. My son doesn't wonder what a naked girl looks like. He can look on the wall and see a naked woman and a piece of art. Right. There is no taboo to that. If he has feelings or urges or things or if he dad, I'm thinking about having sex with my girlfriend. That's a conversation he comes to me and he, we have. I don't think that's bad. I, th- I, th- I, think, no, I think part I, of that's good. But I, what I I'm think saying what is- that does, though, is and, and what that does, though, is the responsibility for him is he understands the purpose of contraception or contraceptives. And he knows that what the responsibility is of going to have sex. And he's going to communicate these things. Yeah, he's having and conversations. So you're limiting the amount of you're you're taking away a lot of the risks there. That you would have, you know, because these other kids are doing it. They're sneaking out. They're going behind mom and dad's back. They're doing this other stuff. They're not getting contraceptives. They're not doing it the right way. And then, boom, my 15-year-old girlfriend ends up pregnant. And this is why I'm – the point I'm trying to make, 
I guess, if anything, is that I've come to realize myself that we only know our, our perspectives are formed through where we live in history, our individual experience, right, and the culture that has brought us up. Agreed. So over the span of time, all of those things exist in a very, 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 very small window. So saying where we are right now culturally is it's a place in time. Correct. Um, Because, again, I go back to, okay, well, the Old Testament, you know, and then canon's been used and withheld, whatever. Like, that's why I don't like to say religion holistically because on that end, we're all going to find out eventually. But having certain feelings and everything else, like, I think a moral compass is still a thing, though. Well, look, well, I'll, I'll I'll clarify this for for everyone and the audience. Religion, if you're using religion as a spiritual tool for self improvement, no problems. I don't. It, what you believe is what you believe. My only problem with religion is when you get into some of the doctrine of religion, where I feel that it becomes a control issue, like sexuality, for example. That's pertinent to what we're talking about. Now, that's a problem. But now you have people who loosely follow religion. You have some great Christians out there who are not doctrinal followers of their Christian religion, and they go to church seldomly or occasionally, and to them, their spirituality is just that, spirituality. They're using it as a moral compass. They're using it as an accountability tool. They're using it for self-improvement. Well, in my opinion... Those are some of the best Christians out there because those people are actually getting a spiritual experience. They're getting benefit from their beliefs. And if you want to believe that and do that, I think that's great. Placeholder, remember I said this? I want to have this conversation with Father Mark. I want his thoughts on it. Fair. Mm-hmm. Will do. But I think you're trying to, with the question of morality, you're questioning is sexuality moral or that's not. not? That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is, I think what you're saying is educated, be, be educated and be responsible. That's what I'm hearing, right. mostly. And it's not just, like, of course, being Am educated on wrong, Rev? what sex is, what se- like, being educated on how sex works and what you're sexuality sex, is. I think this but is what I, I'm hearing. Well, I'm saying a couple of things. I'm saying that when you open the conversation for your children to be able to talk about and express their sexuality in a space that's free of judgment, in a space that allows for education, in a space that allows for guidance, Mm -hmm. right? What you get out of that is not just more responsible behavior, you eliminate the taboo of it. So what what I believe that you see in most people, and I can again only speak from my own experience, so I can say this confidently about me. When my sexuality was repressed the thought or idea of sexuality was much more enticing Mm -hmm. i was a i had a much higher sex drive i was a much larger pervert i was addicted to pornography everything in my world revolved around sex because that's the one thing i couldn't have when i got the ability to eliminate that then I found out that, like, I don't actually think about it all that much. And I'm not super obsessed with all these weird things. And, and in I'm you- not the kind of person that I thought I was. And what I've seen in my children is mm-hmm. when they don't start off with the repression, 
they are following what I believe to be a more natural sex drive, a more natural curiosity towards sexual activity. And I think that what you're getting when you're repressing it is you're creating this heightened obsession for sexuality. Well, and I think the pendulum swings both ways. So you're saying all this, but it's coming from a position of a man in his mid-40s with a lot of life experience and a lot of introspection. You see what's happening now. We just talked about, you know, if people are gay, straight, whatever, don't really care. Don't care. That's your business. I do take big issue with you bringing it into schools and telling kids about it when they're five. I agree with that. I yeah, take, I take, I take big issue with it. I will disagree I slightly. Listen, like we have. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean it exists in our world and. My children are going to interact with every type of human, no matter whatever it is. And they're going to know those people exist, whether I tried to keep it from them or not, or should. So if I, my two daughters see someone, two men holding hands down the road, they're going to say, oh, they love each other. And what I'm and saying that's fine. is, I think that's a parent's job to educate that. Yeah. Right. And, and but then it also. So I, I agree and disagree. I agree with both of you guys, but I yeah. equally disagree as well. So I don't want someone, some stranger, having that conversation with my child at an early age when I know I can handle that. I'm not trying to force an image onto them. I want them to understand seeing two men or two women holding hands that they are in love. I want them to naturally have that experience, like let that light click. I don't like okay. the way the pendulum is swinging to the point you're seeing. Okay, no, I, you're seeing small children twerking no, on stage but this when is they don't even, when they don't even another, know the sexualization Another sexual, this is just another form of sexual oppression. And just whether it's in our face or not, right? It's just another form of control and how we can play the game, right? This, I, I let me take that back. I agree. I'm not going to have another person raise my children. Right, right. That's why I do it. That's why I do it with intent and 100% agree with how the reverend is approaching this. I have two young daughters. Do I want them to no, have- No, I don't think he's getting it wrong at all. I think yeah. you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. What I'm saying is by a pendulum swinging, there's extremes in either end, right? You just We already talked about the conservative- I, I Christian think I, view. Yeah, let me, I, I, can, sum, the I can summarize what, what you're trying to the say. Problem. The issue is, and I can speak from this from experience because I've been in the schools, all right? And so um, the last four years of my education, I actually went back and I got my teaching certification. So my K through 12 teaching certification. So I've been in schools for the last two to three years in and out when I was completing that, right? And uh, so... The problem that I see with what I've seen put into the schools is not from an education standpoint. I think the sex education is important, but they have, to a degree, glamorized certain types of education to where I think that they're promoting children to think about sexuality when they're at an age that they wouldn't be. That's my and point, that's right. that's what I seen when my kids were coming home. It was like. Why am I talking to my fourth grader about this? Why was this even a conversation that we were having in school? Right. So I want right? to be I want to be clear on my views because I I don't want to come off as a bigot because that's not me. If you want to do you, do you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this: I got I remember I think I got my first. And it was a long time ago, and I've been blown up a lot. I'm going to say maybe seventh grade, 
maybe does that sound right to everybody for first sex ed class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it is purely a very clinical type thing, like I got, like, hey, here are these things. Well, look, these are there, this is what exists. Let me let me paint another picture because that's I, I okay. Want, I want to show these something. things are out there. These things exist, but I don't need. Uh, you, what you're talking LBGTQ story time. In, what you're in talking about was the right. politicalization of the education. Yes, okay? it's just as the, the pendulum is, swinging well, the other way. But that is yes, but that is again that's political, <laughs> and you know. So for example, like when my son was in first grade, okay, they showed it was nine eleven, and so they showed a nine eleven video, right? And then after that the teacher took it upon themselves to politically educate the children on what happened. Certainly. And so my first grader comes home telling me a political agenda. Okay. Now that I got upset with. Mm -hmm. I wasn't upset that they showed the video. I wasn't upset that they talked about it. I was upset that that teacher shared her political spin on it. Stick to the facts. So are they doing that in sex education? 100%. And that is a problem. Now, that part needs to be addressed. That's and and I agree with that. And when you see them going in there and they're going into first grade, second grade, third grade, and they're starting the LGBTQ conversation, my problem is, is to me, that feels purely political. Because those kids aren't thinking about anything like that at that Certainly. point in time. And that is a conversation that the parents should well, be Well, and having. the problem is is having a conversation. So this happened. Uh, one of the first soldiers in the Army who was in transition as a transgender soldier was in our schoolhouse as a lieutenant. I got briefed by one of the TAC officers because I taught combatives to everybody. I put hands on and choked out every lieutenant who came through signal bullock and they were like hey we got this student coming through they're in transition whatever and i'm like do they wear the same uniform that's literally what i said i'm like i don't care blood gets shut off to their brain the same way i don't give a shit they can do whatever they want to do policies were changing it didn't matter to me when it mattered to me and where i think it's a problem is I'd read the literature. I knew in two major medical studies, so we went on a run one morning, and I was fallout control, so I'm kind of running around this formation of all senior leaders in the Army. And our sergeant majors there, we're doing a run with them, and everybody's asking these random, or sergeant majors like, hey, so anybody got any questions? And uh, people are asking the normal, whatever, stupid questions, and I'm like, I actually do. So there's a thing in the Army where if uh, it's a commander's checklist, uh, it's like a risk assessment checklist. If a soldier's going through a divorce, if a soldier got a DUI, if a soldier, like if there's major life events, they have to get counsel by the commander and it's like a check-in to check on the soldier's uh, mental health, right, to see if they need to be watched. And I said, okay, Sergeant Major, you've gotten this higher level training as a leader for all these transitioning soldiers. I said, is there anything that the commander's doing as a check-in? Because if you look at the literature, there's a much higher suicide rate in the transgender population. It's in two major medical journals. I got berated by my peers. They started, like, I was hearing everything out of the formation to the point I started swearing at them. I'm like, I'm asking a legitimate question 
based off data I've heard, and it's purely looking out for the welfare of these soldiers. Well, you should just know your soldiers and yada, yada, all this canned bullshit. Because of the narrative, right, that I was being bigoted because I was asking questions. The problem is, is when things are politicized, but it's a cross-section of society, right? That is when the pendulum swings the other way and it becomes a problem. Well, you're always going to get that pendulum swing. You that certainly swing, are. And it's going to swing back the other way as it's it, already It is. Started. It's going to correct the and, other way. And it's going to settle out in the middle. And I mean, you're, you're never going to get away from pendulum swings. You're always going to have. And, and it's, that's an unfortunate side effect. And you can. it's right to disagree with it. It's 100% definitely went too far. I mean, all the way down to, you know, I read an article the other day where Amazon had to change their logo. I didn't even realize this was a thing. So when they first did the logo redesign, it had the Pride little, Month, the, the first few no, days. No, it had the little blue strip on it where the packing tape and people thought it looked like Hitler's mustache. And so they started a thing and, and, and Amazon had to change their logo over that now that's a great example the pendulum is just swing way too far like even to the point to where you can know that is a blue packing strip tape that's just been ripped off like you can easily explain it away and yet that isn't okay the problem is well, then we've went too far the problem, now we have to come back the other direction. when you have created an environment where because of social media and the rapid relay and connection of information and a cultural narrative through the propaganda machine can drive it where anyone can rapidly, where people will jump on the bandwagon for some kind of dopamine hit for people agreeing with them. It's a huge problem. I don't need corporations pandering to every special interest of the moment or anything else. That also doesn't mean, like, look, I don't care about your sexual orientation. What you do in the bedroom is your business. Doesn't matter. That's where it should stay. Your kids should be able to talk to you about it. I think you're doing a good job. I've told you that before. Really good job. I respect. Is that a screen on the back? A lot about it, about the openness you have with your children uh, and that they have with you. I think it's uh, very healthy because it eliminates a lot of problems. Um, however... You don't need your kids telling you you're wrong because they've been indoctrinated. That's when it's a problem. Yeah. Go on. Well, I mean, I, I, I have dealt with plenty of indoctrination from the schools with my kids coming home over the years. And none of it has been anything that I haven't been able to easily deal with. Well, I'm not saying you can't you know? handle it. And, and I think that it, you, it's going to be hard to get away from that just because you have individuals, right? Mm -hmm. Individuals or teachers or people just like everyone else, right? And they're going to share what they believe is their right beliefs, quote unquote. And, and they're going to do what they think is right. And they're going to try to communicate what they believe the kids need to know. And, and they're, and a lot of those teachers and, are probably doing it with the best intentions. Yeah, I think a lot. But I think most of them are. They honestly. don't realize, and a lot of people don't even realize it. And everybody is brainwashed. Mm -hmm. I'm brainwashed. You're brainwashed. Yeah, We're brainwashed by 
what we put in our lives, the media that we take in, the people that are around, what do we watch, what do we listen to, what do we go? All of that is reinforcing thoughts, beliefs, ideas, whatever. So as much as I want to think that I'm an individual, I'm not. I'm just a collective of everything that is around me that I'm taking in. So with that, you know, you're going to absorb whatever it is that's in your environment, and, and that's where you're at. But you can only shape yourself so much. Yeah. What are you guys doing over there? <laughs> Nothing. I saw something. Anyway. I uh, think it's a, another thing. Like, the goal for me is to raise critical thinkers. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. that's agreed. And to have my children to have that, to face people, other people's opinions and thoughts and things, and for them to be able to come to their own conclusions and thoughts they to challenge me to challenge themselves to and, be challenged by others and i don't have a, a, i don't have a problem with that at all because that's where i'm at on a lot of things and i think the biggest problem we have in society right now is people being unwilling or even unknowingly themselves to look in the mirror or look somebody else in the eye and be like i really don't know you guys have heard me multiple times say I can hold more than one thought in my head at the same time. I can see two perspectives and opinions, and I can kick them around and see both sides of it. Yeah, but that's not a normal trait. It, it may, it, it may having, not be, but that's what know, I strive for. Having an open mind is not a natural thing. It isn't. It's, it's actually counterintuitive to survival. As, as, a, as an animal trying to survive in the wild, anything that's new in my environment is a threat. I'm going to treat that as a threat. I don't want new. New is bad. Change is bad. I'm trying to survive here. I want every day to be good, right? right. Yeah. So it is, it is a natural state for someone to not have an open mind. And that is a natural defensive thing. So It, it, isn't, when ba- you, it isn't bad, but it's are you trying to – if we're trying to – Elevate it, truly no, no, elevate no, no, no. ourselves. I, I'm, hold on, let me finish. It. What I'm trying to establish is not that having a closed mind is good. It's that having a closed mind is a normal, natural, biological state. Therefore, most people, unless they have put in significant work to go against their biology, you have to face that threat. You have to overcome that to open your mind, right? There's a fear there that you have to let go of to be able to have an open mind. An open mind is the only way through real self-introspection and well, self-impersonal growth. An open mind is necessary to grow to be a good person, to accept new ideas. I, an open mind is what you want. It's the Maslow's hierarchy very, of needs thing. But there's a very small percentage of people that do that. And, you, and, and, and it helps me sometimes to have grace with people, right? Because... Not everybody is looking at the world like me. Not everybody knows the things that I know. Not everybody has had the experiences. Not everybody's willing to have an open mind. So you have to have grace with that in a, in a sense of understanding that, look, I'm the rarity here. I'm the oddball out. It's not all of these people. It's, you know, even if you th- I talk about that with intelligence, right? And I'm going to, somebody look this up. What's the average IQ in the United States? Oh, look that up. I don't, don't want to know that. I think I it's one, see it. a, a 105, I think. Yeah, I want to. I want to see it. Think, it's it's something ridiculously low. Ninety-seven point four three. Okay, now the last time, the last time that I had an IQ test, which was probably eight or nine years ago, I tested out at a one thirty-nine. I got a one thirty-four. Okay. Yeah. Now think about that. So. This isn't. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be self-improved or anything like that. 
at a 139, I am statistically well above average. You're borderline genius. Okay. Yep. Now, how how could I assume that somebody else that was looking at the situation that had an average IQ was going to come to the same conclusion as me? You can't do that. You have to have grace with people and understand not everybody is functioning on your level. Well. Everybody else is actually much more muted and everybody else also don't they don't know what they don't know and when you have this mass media education you have all these people out there you have people who sincerely believe these things and there's two kinds of iq well yeah of course there i mean so like the last one i took i was 134 i i the last two i took one was a 132 and one was a 134 so it's like same ballpark whatever um that was years ago. I know some of that has slipped because of being blown up and stuff, but then you have the endurance. I can't remember what they're called. Oh, I'm called. sure mine is much lower now. Well, I can't remember what they're called. Well, you have ones that <laughs> – you have ones because our brains aren't develop, Our brains aren't developing anymore. So you have one that is, like, experiential, and you have one that's more uh, – you should know this before I do, but I've yeah. I've, I've studied it because because <laughs> I'm on my second joint. You're like, you should know this. <laughs> the mil- you well, know. no, no. Dude, Jordan damn. Peterson's talked about it's it. Amazing. What, 39? It's amazing. It's it's amazing. I'm still talking. That's why mm-hmm. I think it's funny. So the military, it is the only organization that is allowed to discriminate from its inception, just right. for them to assess you coming in. Like people, are like oh, you were in the military, you didn't go to college. That's cute. Because it is much harder if if you were to IQ test everybody who is able to go to college, not even the same conversation. Not even the same conversation. You have to well, have baseline score. And I've worked for some people in the military who I'm like, can you say potato? Well, like, here's the deal. But, if people, well, I only use that as an example. Like, if we were going to talk about IQ for a second, um, like, one, doesn't matter at all. Two, even at where I, even at my IQ level, like I am definitely not the smartest guy in the room. In, in fact, when I went into my PhD at Walden, um, I was the dumbest guy in every class. Like actually, like everybody had a much better functioning computer than me, and the ones that had really good functioning computers that stood about everybody else was was night and day difference. You know, it was right. like, nope. Not in that conversation, right? I had to work twice as hard as everybody else just to keep up. But like, it's relative, you know? right? But it, that is just it, – it is all relative. And, 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 you know, you look at people – that's where people get in this, like, education thing. And, and, and I always get turned off on that because uh, I know people that have GEDs that are way more intelligent than me. We, we talked about Way more intelligent We talked about me. that yesterday. Like, you know, education doesn't matter. It, it, you can – you experiential training. You, you can have somebody who has a GED that has 150 IQ. I have a GED. You know? And, yeah, it, it just doesn't matter. And people think that education, it makes you smarter somehow. Like, it doesn't make you smarter. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a societal metric. Um, but uh, someone close to me said once, um, like, experience, or not experience, intelligence is relative. You could have somebody who's brilliant at working on cars, and that's the only thing they're smart at. But they're brilliant at that one thing, right? Um, but what we're talking about is absorbing all 
exterior information and absorbing it and processing it. And the reason, one of the reasons I think we're able to do that, if you're going down, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, is most of our other needs have been met. And so we process and we've chosen things we do in our lives that allow us to process. Like we're not wasting time numbing out all the time with other things. Like most of the time I'm, I'm listening to other things and ideas while I'm doing even short. Like I'm not listening to music every day. Doing so. I do that sometimes, but uh, for I'm absorbing other information. I'm like, Hey, I want to hear about this idea and I'll listen to that. Right. I'm getting my little matrix 1.0 download of whatever, thing I want to be like huh what are thoughts on this what's a counter thought on this and then I'm processing that just because I'm like I want to learn about this thing I don't want to waste my time but it's because I'm afforded that because all my other needs are met sounds exhausting well <laughs> but some of what you're talking about though you've been able to do because you have a lot of other needs met you're not struggling to just purely feed your family it's it, you, you're high on Maslow's hierarchy oh, a of needs. Percent. Yeah, I mean we all are. That's the first world life that we live. Right. Yeah, we're not. We're not still because I promise well, you. What, if we were in allowed, a third world country, that's what allows people to get in. We've talked about that before in the podcast. That's what allows people to get into these weird trains of thought or to get all far down these philosophical rabbit holes, right? Once you have all these other society and survival needs met, then you're going to eventually get to the point to where you want to find spirituality and enlightenment and all this other stuff. And so that's just symptomatic. So I don't know. Yeah, it I, is. I, I don't, I don't really think too much on that, but it is like, it's a, it's a thing. I agree. Because it drives a lot of these other things. Because there's plenty of other people who may be plenty intelligent. They just don't have the bandwidth for it. If if you had a if you had a fucking life bar, Eric and I talked about this the other day. If you had a life bar of fucks to give every day, like Mortal Kombat, right? And guy cuts you off in traffic and that pisses you off. Bam. There's ten percent of your fucks to give for the day, right? And throughout the whole day, at the end of the day, if all your fucks are blown out. You just want to sit in front of the TV and watch some random f fantasy story. Mindless white trash. Mindless TV. whatever. Though there's no doubt. And, you know, we talk about getting trapped in life. And, and I talk about this all the time, especially living in the Midwest. You see it around. And it's sad to me because most of the people that live here have about the same schedule. They wake up early in the morning, they drive an hour to work, they get to work, they put in an eight to 10 hour day, they get back, they drive home in an hour to two hours of traffic, and then they eat dinner with their family at a relatively early time and they go to bed somewhere between 8.30 and 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, right? That's the average life. And then whatever free hours they got, they usually spend in front of a television, you know? And I, and I understand that. And I got caught into that trap myself for many many years and that's what led me to that that point of despair right where you're living that life of quiet desperation and you just you just can't take it anymore and i think that that becomes a choice for the individual that's in that but there's a lot of people too and it comes down to personal happiness i know a lot of people that they don't strive for anything more than that that's what they want that makes them happy and for them that's a perfectly good existence well and that's, you know? there's but i wasn't there. compatible in that existence well and there's there's nothing wrong with that 
you know, so and a lot of it has to do with values. I, I just think you, it just depends on who you are and what you want. If you want to be somebody who is introspective, if you want to be somebody who wants to achieve personal growth because you have aspirations of being better, you have aspirations of making the world a better place or whatever, then, you know, that's what this podcast is for. That's for those people, right? That's who we're after. That's our target audience. Those are the people that we want to reach. Those are people that we're going to help. There's going to be just as many people that are going to listen to the words that we say and that aren't going to care. They don't have any interest in that. And you know what? For them, that's fine. They're not going to want to have personal growth. They're not going to want to have introspection. They're not going to want to open their mind. And I just think you have to find like an acceptance of that, right? That there's just some people that just don't want that. You're not going to open everybody's mind. You're not going to, you're not going to create a world in which people are going to voluntarily change. And I don't think it's, I'm not making a value judgment. It's more of an observation. You you know what I mean? Right. I think it's another, it's a, that is a side effect of oppression on ple- pleasure or oppression on self-growth, oppression... Well, it's oppression on, of oneself. Of, of oneself. Yeah, right. right. We, yeah. we ex- accepting uh, uh, eight to uh, eight to 10 hour job, mm-hmm. five to six days a week, where you don't see your family. Well, mm-hmm. and you have to... The, the only reason, because I've had times, so when I was in the military... I had a couple assignments where I had more time. When I had more time, if my personal life was decluttered, which there were rare opportunities, I would be sort of where I'm at now. The reason I have that ability now is because I was an indentured servant for 21 years. But that's what I'm saying. Like that's what I'm saying. It's designed to be where it is. If you have a hobby, you're like, whoa. Well, that's why, like, you know, if you're if you're doing anything other than working or, quote, unquote, saying you're going to church Mm -hmm. on Sunday to say that you do that. Well, that's and then go back and do it again and then do it again. But it's almost looked down upon for people to go to the gym to try something new. Oh, I play chess every Friday night. Like, oh, I wish I had that kind of time. Well, and what does that mean? That's why I think it to get to where you can be introspective to where you have the freedom to be introspective it takes work to get there absolutely unless you're born into and even then you wouldn't appreciate it i think you have to have the struggle to reach that point it's that old uh it's a greek philosopher Hercules, or I'm gonna fuck that up. I think if you are a person in the first world at any level of poverty, period, I have been at the lowest levels of poverty. When I was younger, I still had the ability to have introspection, I still started my growth, I still started well, everything's relative. Things. So, my philosophy in life at my poorest level was still on that thing. And and that's one of the things that, you know, and what is that? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think is, is uh, Robert Kiyosaki had said yep. that. He said, uh, you know, um, being poor is a mindset. He has never been poor. He's been broke. He has never been poor. And that was always me. I have been broke. I have never been poor. You know, you right. Look- and that is a state of mind. And so that goes along with introspection, self growth. But that isn't attached. I know. I, I don't think that somebody who is stuck in a nine to five, living in that life cycle, and, and not having enough free time, is somehow 
unobligated because they don't have the energy to expend to go. I think that I'm that not is a saying, personal choice. I'm not saying they're unobligated. I'm saying the mental bandwidth is more restricted. Because, like when I was a platoon sergeant and I was working 60 to 70 hours a week, uh, I still did some, but not near to the level I do now. I mean, what are you talking about? Are we talking about fitness? I mean, if it if it's time to work out, I mean, of course, you only have so many hours no, in even, a day, but even, you can still find time to, even, to find fitness. No, I think whatever. I understand what you're saying. You're saying I, I, when you come home so tired from running a 12-hour day just to just to make sure that your, your kids have a place I'm to live. I'm saying I would come home in Hawaii after getting up at 4.45 in the morning. I would get home at... 5.45, 6 o'clock at night, I'd come in, I'd usually pour one drink, walk out of my back and I take about 30 minutes, I would help my stepkids do their homework. By the time I was done with that, needing dinner, and then dealing with people calling me for other stuff for work, and it was time to go to bed, I would go to bed, because I had to get up and do it again at 4.45 okay. in the morning. I don't understand what you're trying to say, though. Like, what's the... I, I, Over-obligation. I'm is. saying the mental, the fucks to give that life bar I'm talking about, right? Oh, I understand what you're saying there that you're that you're exhausted, but I don't understand what what point you're trying to tie that into. I'm saying if we're talking about, uh, he's saying there are people that could be on quote unquote your level of intelligence, and maybe if they had a, maybe had a different environment that they were in, they could maybe have come to those same conclusions or, or they'd be oh, introspect yeah. as introspective. Of course. Why, why wouldn't they? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand what the, what the point of that is though. I, I, we're not judging them on not being introspective. It's not a judgment. It's an observation. It's oh, just, I, yeah, I agree. it's, yeah. there's no, there's no judgment at all. My point is like you, you mentioned the average Midwesterner, Mm-hmm. Right. And kind of how the life goes or whatever. Right. I don't think any East Coaster, any West Coaster are any better culturally. I'm saying people are people. Right. Uh, and that personally, I have found the greatest introspection when I had more time to focus on introspection. Agreed. Right. I I don't think we were ever arguing that. That was always an agreed upon point. If you have more time, you're gonna have more time for introspection. If you don't, you don't. Like that's a pretty straightforward thing. I mean, when you guys are sitting here talking about, you know, the average lifestyle in the, and in the Midwest, I mean, you're literally. I feel like we're arguing about anything. I'm just making an observation. No, I yeah. didn't know. I just. I guess I wasn't tying it together because I, I wasn't disagreeing with anything. But well, I, mean, I wasn't disagreeing at all. I was just saying that we're we're sitting around a table as people who've done a lot of lived a lot of life, done a lot of things, and we we have the flexibility on a Friday to show up and have an introspective conversation with our peers. Right. Everybody and doesn't have that. Of course. It's an and it's an observation. Like I'm happy that I'm in this position. 
That's all I'm saying. I think it, those observations are fueled by life experience mostly. I mean, before it, it, I moved to Florida, I mean, I Midwest, middle class, conservative, now, and, sheltered lifestyle. But some of it's on personal responsibility, too, because, like, uh, I've had s- some other conversations in my life. It's if people care, care to think about things, I think, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean all of us here have had some travel. You know, there's no no shade about that. But moving to Florida for the four years that I did and coming back here after that was the biggest growth experience of my life. And you come back and seeing people and they're in the same mentality as they are now than when, when you left. So those experiences in life, I think, really helps with your whole outlook on how you see things. Agreed. It's, it certainly does. I mean, you see people when they go away and come back, it's, you know, vastly different. You're for, you're, it's the nature versus nurture thing you know I've, I've extremely outgrown many people in this area that i was extremely close to and it all comes down to just life experience by leaving this safe haven quote-unquote bubble that we live in here well in you had you had your ideas challenged by experience 100 hmm. that's a good way to put it are you tying okay maybe i'm following now i think what you're saying you're tying this all the way back into why people may be more why we believe what we believe or whatever the cultural narrative is in sexuality and giving more space for why maybe it hasn't evolved or adapted as much. Is that what you're, is that what you're trying to do? I'm saying that if I were to take the average person, like we're talking about current canonistic religious experience, right? If you only have time, you go to a church on Sunday, you're, working hard, feeding your kids, feeding your family, whatever. You're working literally all day, every day, coming home, you're shout out, you go to church. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in and they're like, well, yeah, the Bible says this. And that. like, most people don't know about the Council of Nicaea. They don't know that books were pulled from the Bible. They don't know that. Right. They go there and they have one person telling them, hey, this is what it says, and they trust that person. That's nothing against any, you know, religious figure or anything doing those things. But, I mean, you've been to seminary, and you know that. We had a Catholic priest who told us, yeah, here's kind of my take on how things are done and, and it's used to manipulate society, and he's still heavily involved in that doctrine. Look, I, I'm not doubting or doting on anybody that, wants to be religious you know um the best spiritual religious period of my life is when i was not in seminary right i didn't lose my faith until i started reading my bible like you know when i went into seminary and they started educating me and we started getting into all that stuff that is what eventually led me to lose my faith because my academic training and my spiritual training did not add up and uh that was my personal experience and personal choice i don't expect anyone who is an average day-to-day liver going to church, doing their thing to have any time to dedicate into as much research as I did at that period of my life. I mean, that was my job. I was doing 40, 50 hours a week of seminary. And I mean, that's all I was doing in life. So no, I don't expect anyone else to, to have that, but you know, and, and to have grace with people's beliefs or to, to feel one way or the other. I mean, there's plenty of grace for a lot of things, and, and I think that's why I don't 
get so worked up when people disagree or they feel differently or they behave or a cultural narrative is something that I don't necessarily agree with or a political stance or view because people are entitled to their thoughts and opinions and not everybody's going to look at the world the same way that I do. Well, that's why I asked Father Mark some of the questions I did. Yeah, but I do, I, I will challenge those. I will tell, I will say that I don't agree you know, just because the cultural narrative to sexuality is mostly Judeo-Christian in this area, and that is how people have been raised and brought up. Yeah, I don't. I'm not faulting you for thinking that way. I'm not. I don't have grace for everybody who thinks that way. That's fine. I, I'm not going to tell you that I think that that's a bad thing for you or whatever. But I'm not going to agree with it. I will tell you I think it's wrong. I will express why I think it's wrong, and then I will tell you I think there's a better way to do that. And that's the stance that I take. And you don't have to agree with me or not. But, you know, I think that the, you have to have room for the conversation. And people have to understand those things. And that, I guess that's what I'm getting at is some of those people. The room for the conversation. I think some people, they struggle with the bandwidth for that conversation. Oh, of course. And, they, and a lot of people, you have to realize, they don't even consider thinking about it. You know, you... you Unless you give yourself a thought to challenge that what you're thinking might be wrong and you've been raised, you know, why do people carry on their parents' beliefs, right? You get raised away, you're going to carry a belief, and if you don't ever get to a point where that belief gets challenged, you're just going to assume that that's your knowledge. And you're going to have so many people that are going to go through their whole life that way, and most people do, especially people that we would consider closed-minded. They consider themselves very well-educated. They just haven't been ever challenged their opinions or thoughts. So, you know, you're going to have that. I don't think that there's a, a really a way around that. Maybe not. All you can do is just challenge it and try to show a better way, and I, hopefully other people will get educated when that presents itself. That's why I said it was more an observation. Right. Than anything. But that's why so, that's why the movements have to make so much noise. You know, when you want to create change for something and you want to get out there and you want to do something, you have to create so much noise to get the attention of those people and because they won't see it without that. And that's the problem, too, is even against that, depending on where that is because of politics or society, even having a conversation, like you're not a bigot if you ask questions, but... Often that is the. Well, that's just the current political situation. Yeah, it's just the pendulum. Yeah, that's just. The it, that's why swing. I said the yeah. pendulum swung. Yeah. That was I the mean, point I was making. Yeah, that's not sustainable. And that was the point I was making is that you know, like, if you could go into most interactions with the assumption that the other person had the best uh, outcome in mind, right? And had an open con willing to have an open conversation, okay, this person doesn't hate me or hate my ideas or mm -hmm. or whatever, like they're just talking and saying, "Well, yeah, I don't know." I don't necessarily agree and not form a value judgment against them because of a contrary idea. That's when real conversations growth and and uh kind of exploring ideas can happen, but unfortunately that doesn't happen very often. Agreed. Yeah. And it comes to self-responsibility and being able to check your ego, you know, to question yourself, to let other people's opinions challenge you 
and give them some weight to think on. Well, yeah, and it's the having the ability to actually listen to process what they're saying, not listen to respond. It's a proper way to debate. Yeah, listen to comprehend. Don't listen to respond. Mm-hmm. Don't formulate a response when you're listening. Listen, process. And if you don't know, that's a huge problem we have is not having the ability to say, hmm, let I don't know. Back. Let me get back to you on yeah, that. Yeah, I got to think about that more. Right. Hey, my, I, uh, I don't my know. wife definitely hates that. We'll be having an argument, and she'll say something that I'm like, okay, I guess I need to process that one. You know, I need to think on this. Like, am I wrong? And she's like, what are you saying? I'm like, I have to think because I don't know. Because I don't know. I need to actually think about this because I don't want to say I'm not right at this point. I don't want to just blindly agree or I don't want to just blindly defend myself because I felt I feel right. Well, and sometimes it falls somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, sometimes it just falls somewhere in the yeah. middle. And sometimes you're allowed to just have a feeling about something, let it go through, and be okay after. You know, you don't have to agree. You can ha- you can feel that I disagree with this person feeling and then let it pass note it and move on because mm-hmm. it doesn't it's a fleeting fleeting moment and you, can you felt change. it and it's over and you can change your mind later i work with a guy that took that very seriously i mean literally asking man the cardinals sucked last night and he would literally sit there and kind of he would process everything you would say for 10 seconds and then he would it was almost got to the certain awkward point where you're like are you gonna say anything this is very and then he would just start spouting out like he processed everything to make sure he heard you correctly and then to give you the response that he felt was appropriate at that point in time. And I think as a society as a whole, everyone, not everyone, the majority always talks to defend. You know, I, Jordan Peterson, I heard him do a talk a long time ago talking about arguing with a significant other. And he said, uh, because it is always so emotionally charged when there's any kind of serious interaction about something, if you make sure like as a starting point that you fully understand their perspective repeat back it, it's you're doing the paraphrasing thing but you you're going to the extreme restating until they say yes that's it the argument will almost always go away cuz you can't just do it to respond anymore mm-hmm. you know what i mean you're you're because once you're fully absorbing how they think about it, how they feel about it, everything, it can uh, kind of mitigate any of the emotional damage or whatever that may happen because you're going, oh, well, that's how you feel about that. And then you can then you can move forward. Yeah, I like to, when I, I, we're in a tussle or something, I was like, my emotional self is feeling this. My practical self can see what you're saying, but my emotion, I'm emotional about this. I feel this some way, way right I feel, now. I'm feeling something. I feel something. a kind of way. I feel it. <laughs> I can I can see clearly over here, but my emotional self is feeling like this right now, and that's what I have to deal with at the moment. And sometimes it's just me having to deal with my emotional self yeah. and try not to put it on others because those are mine and try to bring the practical self into organizing that emotional self. I mean, that's like having the angel and the devil over your shoulder who you listen to first, and sometimes you take a step away and hear both arguments you know yeah and i'm not saying my emotions are yeah, awful. my emotion yeah they'll come from somewhere and they're and valid right yeah they, they came from somewhere and 
I need to be able to step into the practical shoes while feeling the emotions and not have to have to have someone else hold those at the moment, like trying to keep my emotional self in check with my practical self saying, no, your argument is legitimate. My emotional self is still feeling hurt or still feeling however. And I, I need to process that. I need to get through those. I need to feel those. Let me feel those, whether I was right or wrong, you know, and we go from there. That's what I said. Yeah. If you if you have the ability to do that, I think you could find the common ground all the time. I really do. Something. Mm-hmm. Some form of common ground or compromise or mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. Because, yeah, somebody may say something like, oh, that makes, for whatever reason, I don't even know why it's making me feel that way, but it's making me feel that way. And you think about it. You're like, well... Maybe that is valid, mm. you know. Should we transition to gun control? <laughs> <laughs> hey <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> gun control is two hands. <laughs> That's recoil mitigation. That's what gun Trigger control discipline. is. Trigger discipline. Yeah. Ain't small, miss small. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Had to go there. <laughs> Just want to trigger those emotions real quick. Rep's having a day. He's having a a moment. He's tired of the teardown. We and him and I ingested way too much mesothelioma earlier today. I think (laughs) (laughs) I'm making that joke because we're scraping drywall. Asbestos. I'm all like, I hope this doesn't have asbestos. Tom's like, well, that might be a thing. I'm like, mesothelioma. All right, let's go. Master back in, fellas. Right, (laughs) right. Been a day. So I have a question for you guys with the whole religion thing. I, I feel kind of a poser because I don't go to church often, but when I do, though I believe in God, I want to believe that there's an actual God or a heaven after after death. Do I actually believe in the whole Catholic religion as a whole or Catholicism, whatever you want to call it? But when I go to church, it's it's really only for that hour and a half to where I get the positivity from the individual I'm around. We have so much negativity in our life on the daily, but that hour and a half that I'm there, it's just the energy, the the people, everyone's happy. It's it's very it's a non-denominational church. It's not your traditional Catholic church. They're very open, very positive, and they're all there to worship. But I'm there for the positivity, and I kind of feel like a poser. And I'm curious on your thoughts and opinions on that. I promise you're not the only one. You're probably not wrong. That's what church is for. That's why they say go to church. It's to find the fellowship with your fellow man. It's you're doing, you're there for a reason, right? You're there, you're there to worship. It's the reason to gather, but to find that fellowship in something with others is the reason. But me knowing that our beliefs don't align appropriately of why we're actually there. Because what, some of the what people, what's appropriately. I would say they're there to worship the Bible. I'm there. Are they there to worship the Bible? The certain there's a certain group of guys there. They would sit perfect at this table right now and, and handle this conversation, but they are what I'm going to call holy worshipers, and that's no disrespect. They are phenomenal people, but my religious beliefs don't align with theirs. They are there because they do believe in the Bible and they believe in God. I am there for energy and positivity and just the the betterness of the situation of life 
because it is. I don't. I never leave there in a bad mood. I'm always like happy goey, loosey goosey. Why don't you ask them why they started church, or why they like what? So that 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 goes too. So I don't think my so I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like my knowledge of the Bible is strong enough for me to appropriately question their beliefs. Because you, I, I, I can't ask you to question their belief. About. I'm just asking you to question their why. <laughs> like that, well, that's that, a different that's a different story it's a slippery slope though it's a different story like what made you choose this like where's your choice and belief it's you're not saying uh you're not questioning whether they're believing or not like what makes just what makes them believe like is it the fellowship is it just because the book says so or is it you know, the group of people around them that all believe together, the like-mindedness, the, we want this positive energy and it just led them into that. It must be because of this. I don't, I don't think you're a poser at all. And you know, everyone else does it as well. When I went to, um, we were in, uh, I think it was Ojai, California and they have a big spiritual retreat up there. And I think it's a Buddhist retreat. And uh, I went up there, and we did the meditation and hung out and sunset and all that stuff. And it was amazing. And I went up there for a spiritual experience. I'm not Buddhist. I wasn't posing. I got the same thing from the experience that everybody else did, regardless of what my belief was. Mm -hmm. So if you're going into that environment and you're getting that energy from that environment and you're having your spiritual experience with whatever God you believe in, you don't have to align with what they believe. You can just benefit from it just like they are. If now, if they if they ask you your beliefs, you shouldn't shy away from them. You know, be honest with them, be confident in it. But you're not nowhere in there. You subscribe to believe what they believe just to be in their environment. I think you just shed light on it when you said experience, because my mentality has always been going there for a purpose or a reason, not an experience. That that completely just disassembles my my whole statement. Yeah, but that's what you're going there for, right? That's spiritual yeah. experience. Yeah, you're meeting with your God, whoever that is, whatever that is, if there is such a thing. But to you, that's what you're there for, and you're getting that. And that's what they're there for, you know, too, right? That's why, That's why you know, when I go to the gym, that's my church, right? That's where I go for fellowship. That's where I go to get my brotherhood. Yep. Makes sense. Yeah. That that's spiritual a good way to look experience. At it. That's yeah. what the church was designed for, right? With that fellowship. That's what this know? is. This is Church of the Stone Apes. You know, that's what we're having right now, fellowship. This is an experience. It's the same thing. You know, you don't have to believe what someone believes just to share that experience. Right. Well, and I think you can believe in... <clears throat> Most people don't... Even when I was a kid, we talked about when we were with Father Mark, and I asked him a couple questions, right? Like, I had pointed questions, things I had asked my dad, even when I was a little kid. Like, well, how does this work? And he was like, I don't know. Father Mark gave some pretty good answers, honestly, like, based on, you know, things I had asked. Because here we have a guy who studied it. It's been his profession for years. And he's like, yep, these things are left out. I think a lot of it's about control and these other things. I think there's certainly a creator. You know, I've chosen... uh to believe in a trinity um and we're all gonna find out someday or not and if i'm wrong i'm wrong it's not my job to pass judgment on anyone else but i also don't believe that uh 
you know, a lot of people go, well, the book says this. I'm like, well, this also happened in there. And what about these other things that were left out that used to be in there? What about these things we don't know because they only found this? Like, I have other questions. I don't know. But like we've talked about before, like, I don't think this is random. You know, unless cosmic, unless cosmically a, a, create critical thinking. a, a hurricane hit a junkyard and created a 747. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, hey, you know, I mean, I'm not, there's only, I mean, did you, you didn't serve, did you? Mm-mm. Okay. Obviously you two did, but, and you and I are obviously firm supporters of the military, but so I listen to a lot of military podcasts and it seems like all the Delta or spec op guys, they all firmly believe in God oh, based wow. off of situ. I would assume off situations they saw while on duty and basically why am I living versus them? But I don't, I, I can't speak on their behalf because I have no, <laughs> no, no pot to piss in compared to those men and women that have seen that shit. But it always blows me away if they're such a firm religious believer and I don't know what happens in their life to make them think that there is a God, you know, just black and white. Yes, there is. And to me, as a civilian who hasn't had those experiences, go, well, it's there. I would love I would love it if there was, but I don't know. Ultimately nobody knows. Like I said, we're gonna find out. I just think we're not. religious belief comes down to individual experience. And whatever someone whatever belief somebody wants to shape together is their reality. And that's okay. You know, as long as that doesn't hurt someone else or oppress someone else or cause damage somewhere. It's a non-aggression principle. Then then you're allowed to believe whatever it is that you want to believe. Because there's no one that has the right answer. No one. And the fact of the matter is, you know, why does everybody search for it? It's like, well, that's the answer of existence. Why are we even here? I mean, the, the whole thought of this reality right now is preposterous. So you have to ask yourself <laughs> yeah. this question of going, well, if then how? Well, then your brain's going to search for that, right? The idea of conscious thought, that alone is another preposterous thing, you know, to add to all of it. The statistical and, probability of us all sitting here today. That's what I said, yeah, the yeah. 747. You know, <laughs> you know, so everybody's going to have a question. Everybody's going to have an individual belief. And you, you can't sit there and argue. There's, Like I said before, if all that we can process as humans is what we can take in from our environment, right? So there's... Nothing that we can even imagine that isn't actually possible, right? Because everything that's within our environment, any construct, any imagination is based on the reality that we know, right? And so whatever anyone can imagine could actually be the real thing, just as likely as what we're living right now. Right, so you whether you want to be in fourth dimensions, fifth dimensions, three hundred eighty-five thousand dimensions, it doesn't really matter. And whatever your belief system wants to be, whether you want to believe in God of the Bible or you want to believe in Allah or whatever the case may be, you're all equally right. Everyone, they're just as right as I am, dude, because I don't have a clue either. We may be, we may just be in the matrix. You may Fact. die, you may die, and you'll wake up in a chair, and they'll be like, I mean, hey, you made it to. 40, 40 level 40, two 40 whatever you want to play again and you're going to be like mother <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> yeah no and but i know, mean probably not but i mean it's like it has just as much a likelihood of a possibility as anything else that's the reality of it i mean if you you have to understand that what do you Art, lose from that belief you just blew that's my question yeah 
wake up at level 42, you want to play again. That, can you imagine the actual reality of that? Like, if anything, we're yeah, here but like to experience. Said, you don't know. That's what yeah. I've said. Like, you, like here's the deal. Everybody is so sure. And if it's like, hey, you're holding this belief. Well, based on what I believe, I'm not going to lose anything. I could be wrong. I could be. Could be wrong. You know, could be a giant propaganda machine for time eternal that's working against me. I don't think so. I'm choosing to hold a certain belief, you know, and other people could believe contrary and they could be wrong. And if, you know, based on that faith on canon, there could be a lot of other problems, but there's a lot of stuff that says that that may be BS too. Mm. So it's like you hold a faith to a certain thing, but are you harming anyone else? No, non-aggression principle. Hey, you want to believe that? Believe that. Cool. You know, but I think there. Here we go. Oh, I, I, this is this is the problem. Are you harming anyone else? There's an emotional side to that. There is a mm. lot of harm that can be done and is done through religious belief. I'm talking about what I believe. Well, I understand that, but you. Am I harming you by what I believe right now? No, but okay. we haven't. <laughs> See, my, my now, you're, you're, now you're going from you're, individuals are allowed to believe whatever they want to believe. That's what I'm saying. Okay, but there's a difference between that and religion. But that's not what religion I'm talking about. Religion is a completely different thing. But your, that's not, your spiritual beliefs is your spiritual beliefs. But that's not what we're talking about. He asked what we believed. I'm telling him what I believe, and I'm saying that is what I believe. Right. Okay. Yeah. I you personally. I agree, but there, that as a framework for others is a challenging thing, because if you just say non-aggression principle for any religious belief onto any other individual, well, now we're into the weeds because there's a lot of things that could be aggression. There's centuries of aggression, right? Of the, I, I mean, of you the know, aggression, and you're not going to oh. you're not going to hear me argue against that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm answering what Danny asked about what we believed around the table. And I said, for me. Oh, I thought he was just asking what we believed in reference to his situation, not our own personal beliefs. I think it bled over into what Sam was saying, but you're both not wrong. One one thing that when you stepped out, Anthony mentioned about just overall experience. We're there for the same experience. And I misled it as purpose. We're not there for the same purpose. We're there for experience, which kind of open my eyes a little bit because if we are there for a specific or well, a similar experience versus actual purpose. And some people are there because it's been what they've been told to, what to do. And that's why I, I mean, I was rammed the Catholic <laughs> rod down my throat growing up and I almost want to say I kind of rebelled where I'm like, ah, I'm out. But as I got older, I have children now. Well, and, and therein lies back to the critical thinking thing, which gets sort of to what Rev was talking about, about, when it does harm people, uh, if if you're if you're relying on a religious mouthpiece to be, it's supposed to be like a guide. But if you can't critically apply that, and it starts leading down a road toward any of those other things, it's a slippery slope. That's why I said for me, because I don't care how influential you are up there doing whatever. 
a guy and you say something if i say something and i hear it and it's like well wait a second dude i remember being a kid and with the church we went to for a while there was like the fam there's always a prominent family in a church it just tends to happen right and uh i remember there was a whole sermon i was a small kid and i remember a sermon about tithing and i remember thinking like this is a hustle dude I'm a little kid, and it was over the top, right? And then uh, my dad was a youth minister in that church and some other things, and uh, I ended up getting in a fight with one of the cousins of the prominent family members of the church and beating the brakes off of him. He started it. He played the FAFO game. Mm -hmm. But uh, we were sort of ostracized after that because— they're like, well, he needs to apologize. My dad's like, yeah, no, 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 uh-uh, no. And the whole dynamic and everything changed just because they were prominent individuals. And therein lies the problem, right? If you look at, like, greed and influence, uh, like, humans are imperfect, right? But that's why I said, for me, it's the whole, like, non-aggression principle. I have friends who are Muslim. I have friends who are Buddhist. I have friends who are atheist, agnostic. Every race, color, creed, uh, and all those things are fine, but they also, because they're friends of mine, I've never had them f try to force those beliefs onto me, you know, nor I them, we've, and we've talked about them openly, and hey, agree on all these other things, but agree to disagree on this one thing, like we do at this table, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why we're the stone apes. Because we're gonna find out, <laughs> or 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 not, or we're gonna wake up and be level forty-two, eighty something, whatever. Oh. You know, cheat code. All right. <laughs> Reb's had way too much weed and a long week. <laughs> he didn't He's expect an his... existential crisis today. He's shaking his head. He's like, dude, I got nothing. No, just all stuff we've agreed on. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, there's nothing, I don't know. That's just, that whole religion thing's a slippery slope. It's a, it's a hard one to talk about. It's a hard one to, it's a hard one to, to, to get a foot in because there's, there's so many pros and so many cons. And it's a very, very dangerous thing. So I don't know. And stick to the experience, not the purpose. Right. Right. Yeah, and you know, and, and you have to ask yourself, it, 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 and that's where you get into that disagree or agree. It, 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 I think the problem for me is if everybody would approach religion that way, if they would just go into the religion and say, I'm just here for all the positives and I'm not going to hold on to any of the negatives and that's going to be where it's going to be at then I probably wouldn't be a so against it. I would probably just leave it at that. But that's not what happens. There's a doctrine behind every religion, and every religion in that doctrine has things that are what I would consider to be crimes against humanity, okay, that have done some terrible, terrible things and continue to do terrible things in the hearts and minds of the followers, and, and sometimes into people in external places, right? So... When that exists and you have that doctrine that exists within anything, whether it has a positive front to it or not, you have to consider that dangerous. And it has to be held ac accountable to those beliefs, 
right? And and it's not. And and so that's why I have a hard time saying, hey, I want people to believe whatever it is that they believe. Uh, do I? But do I stand with religion at all? No, I think that fundamentally there's an issue there as a whole. And anybody who is practicing a religion, you know, when you're going in there and you're subjecting yourself to thought, when you walk in and you decide, you know, we were talking about sexuality earlier, you know, and so they, let's say they're going to preach out of Leviticus, you know, if your guy wastes his seed, then you, I think they cut off his hand or some shit, right? I don't or remember what died. the, yeah, or he killed him God, or whatever. God yeah, told, it's God like, told him to impregnate her and that he blew it on the ground and he was, yeah, struck, he right, was yeah. Dead. So, yeah, you know, you have situations like that where it's like, oh my God, if you, if you go home and masturbate, you know, it's better to pluck out your eye than to lust after a woman or to be a eunuch. And you right, know, but, that, but that's you know, not even about, what it said in Leviticus. Like if you're looking at that that story, it was the one guy. God gave him a command, and he did it. But no, everybody everybody spells that out. Yeah, well, there was a lot of laws that that came out in Leviticus. There were, but it was also like don't wear linen or some shit. All, like, all things that nobody applies to, right? But they were all necessary. Even at the people time practicing because, Torah. Well, they were necessary at that time because when they were in the wilderness, they had certain like uh, yeah, they had SO, hygiene protocols. They had, SOP, and they had SOPs, like that. and that's what that was written for, right? That those are hygiene protocol things. Those are those are those dietary are restrictions, right? and, and uh, that's why a lot of that isn't followed because well, that was Old Testament law or whatever, and that was specific to that period. But you know, you still. You, when you have something like that, like the eunuch, right? I think it was Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, it's better to be a eunuch, right? Than the, than or Paul, I think, said that it's better to be a eunuch than to lust after a woman or something like that. To have sex in your heart, and it was, and it's like, you take you take that in, and you hear that, or you're given that guilt or that accountability. Are you talking about when Jesus talked about except for pornea. No, I think it was Paul. Well, I'll have to look this one up, and I'll come back and I'll clarify this on a later podcast. But I think Paul was talking about lusting after a woman. He he basically said that you're better to live life as a eunuch, right, than to um, than to experience sex with a woman and all this other stuff. And so, see, that's why I think shit gets lost in translation, yeah, though, because even when you look at like what the translation was of like, well, what's sexual immorality? It, you, you know what I mean? You look at broad terms, and then once you start getting in the weeds on the translation of what those things meant, it's like, yeah, well, don't sodomize a goat the, or the, whatever. The, like, me, the yeah. message of that, the message of sexuality in the Bible is pretty clear, right? Masturbation is a no-go. Sex outside of marriage, no-go, right? And then you have all of these major restrictions on that. And you also have restrictions, your accountability for your eyesight. Right, you can't covet. You can't lust. Lust is a sin. So if you look at a woman out of wedlock and you lust after her, you are just as guilty as if you would have went and actually done it. Right? That's the accountability that you have with that, and so the, that's why you're incapable of personal salvation because you're guilty of that sin. If I look at a woman and I lust after the woman, I'm as guilty as if I would have actually had sex with the woman. That thought made me guilty of adultery. That's crazy. Right, that is the that is the preaching. As it's taught, that's as it's taught. So it is told. Okay, so when you when you get taught that on a Sunday, and as soon as that thought is given to you, that's an assault on a human. That's an assault on your person. Right, that puts you in a space to where all of a sudden now, oh my God, how can I not sin? 
How can I not be this bad person? You cannot not sin at that point. It's impossible well, not nobody to. Nobody cannot well, that's, sin. It's, uh, that's and that's it, the whole that's point. That's what it says. I was saying, that's the point. That's yeah. what it says. The flesh is his death, right? That's the, whole, that's the whole meaning of that statement. The flesh is his death. This, the skin, the biological being is death, sin. You have to be saved from it. Well, damn. Damn. Like, that sucks. Set up failure. You know, so you're set up from failure from the very beginning. And that's the core message. That's the whole core message to drive you to salvation. That's why you need Jesus Christ. Because you can't achieve salvation without Jesus Christ because your flesh has condemned you. Think about that. You are incapable of salvation without Jesus Christ because you have flesh, because you have DNA. What the fuck? Man, the 16-year-old me sent so much. <laughs> right? So, I mean, when you put that type of accountability into that, then you, you're, you're stripping the person away of their ability to achieve personal growth on their own or to do anything or to even see themselves and have comfort. How do you have comfort with your own thoughts, your own feelings? Everything you think, everything you do is wrong. You don't. You know, that's a terrible place to be. And that is, I do think, that's aggression. That's harm. You're hurting people. Well, and this is why. I that's like why I call it trauma. I that is got, trauma. I actually got to wrap it in a minute. This is good. I, I could probably go for another like three hours and have thoughts, but I got to get my kid. <laughs> Fair. Well, we can. Why don't we go ahead and just go ahead and wrap for the day? Let's give a big thank you to our episode sponsors. Let's thank you to Malevolent Art Studios out of Barnhart, Missouri. That is Anthony Ferguson, our man over there. If you guys are looking for a great tattoo experience, I highly suggest that you go over there and see him. He has done work on myself. He's done work on The Professor. He is an excellent artist with a great group of artists that work with him. Uh, clean shop. It is fantastic. So go ahead and look in the description. You will see the contact info information from Malevolent Art Studios, go ahead and reach out to him. Mention the stoned apes when you do, and you will get 20% off of any booked appointment. All right. And our other sponsor is Elliot Growth. Elliot Growth has Elliot Growth Productions, which is an audio video company. He shoots all the audio video for the Stoned Apes and 10th Planet. And you should go to the Instagram that we have down in the description and you can go see examples of his work. He is excellent. If you guys are in need of any type of uh, social media advertising or photography video, reach out to my man. Look in the description. You'll find the contact for him. Mention the Stoned Apes and you will get 10% off off of any service. Elliot Growth is also a tattoo star artist and he owns Gateway Tattoo Studios over in Arnold, Missouri. Reach out to him. He is an appointment only artist. He specializes in black and gray and realism. Send him an email down in the description. Mention the stoned apes. You'll get $50 off any half day booked appointment, but he will work with you to design a tattoo that not only will be an individual custom creation for you, but something that's going to wear really well and it's going to be a quality tattoo that you're going to enjoy for a long time so that is it for this episode of the stoned apes we appreciate you guys make sure that you go ahead and click subscribe hit that notification bell so that you don't miss any future episodes we will drop again here next week and for this episode the stoned apes are out mm -hmm.